When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Sam Carroll, and the returning Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever, another busy week. We were with you on Tuesday, back again after Carlo Ancelotti's press conference this afternoon and plenty to get our teeth stuck into. Gomez, of course, we spoke about on Tuesday, but significant developments in terms of what the manager thinks since then. We'll preview Arsenal, of course, and meeting again with Mikel Arteta and get the guy's thoughts on him as a manager and how it will go for him at the Emirates. And, of course, the big off-field news this week, Everton's planning application for a new stadium at Bramley Moor Dock has been made available to the public on the Liverpool Council website now as we speak. And at available for people to sift through. We have done some of the sifting, so we will hopefully bring some of the headlines for you, of course. And, and of course, we will discuss on the pitch, um, Sunday's trip to the Emirates is the first of four very interesting-looking games in what could potentially shape Everton's European aspirations. Um, Preno, we did discuss at length Gomez and his remarkable recovery uh, on Tuesday, but since we sat down... Carlo Ancelotti has said he wants to start him yeah. and feels that when you've returned from such an injury, being on the bench is not the way to go. It's better for a person and a player to prepare to start the game. Would you back the manager on that one? Carlo clearly doesn't listen to the Royal Blue podcast because he <laughs> uh, argued the case quite convincingly, I thought, that it's a big risk to throw him straight in after three months uh, into the intensity of a Premier League game. But maybe what I was also saying in that podcast about the typical Everton fatalistic mentality, always being a little bit, you know, so cautious and nervous, has been swept away by Carlo. And he's being bold, he's being positive, and he's thinking, no, you know, so he's fit, he's ready to go. Why not put him straight back in? I mean, seriously, he sees him on the training pitch. He knows, you know, what kind of mindset uh, he's at. The concern for me was psychological when you've suffered such a serious injury like that and you're foot's been facing in the wrong direction you know so how is that going to actually affect you psychologically when you're going in for your first fully fledged tackle you know so when your studs maybe get stuck in the turf a little bit you know all those kind of things going through your head um obviously the Everton sports science people will have looked at that you know they'll have uh, basically seen how Andre Gomez has been reacting on the training pitch and they're happy, you know, so they believe that he's ready to um, to get straight back in there. So if they believe he's ready, yes, you have to back the manager's judgment. Um, you know, clearly he doesn't think he's taking any uh, any risks. And if you're going to get him up to speed uh, sooner rather than later, I suppose, you know, start him, give him an hour, hour's worth. Concerns me a little bit that he's only played an hour as, you know, behind closed doors friendly. So, you know, match fitness is going to be nothing like what it ought to be. Uh, but we've spoken in here many times before what kind of quality the fella has. You know, love him as a midfielder. And, uh, you know, he'll fit quite nicely into the system that Carlo is playing at the moment. So if he feels he's ready, who are we to, uh, <laughs> to quibble? So I think uh, Carlo repeated at his press conference this afternoon that he, again, will have the conversation with Andre. And, and if the player is confident, um, he will start him. Put yourself in Andre's shoes. Um, would you want to start if you come off such a, 
a serious injury, uh, you know, three-month layoff, would you want to start that first game? I think probably, yeah, because it almost, it's not like a muscle injury where you might be kind of feeling it or, you know, woody that it might kind of start nagging at you halfway through the game or anything like that, is it? You know, it's, a, it's I think as Carlo points out today, again, it's gonna, it's gonna, it was a psychological thing as well, isn't it? It'll be interesting, you know, if he does start tomorrow and there's an early kind of tackle to, to be won or, you know, something like that, how, how he would react to it, but, you know, Ancelotti doesn't seem to have any kind of problems with that, um, and I think I think in, in my mind it, it it does make sense for for both player and manager. You know, at the end of the day, if he's if he's absolutely knackered after after the first half, then that's fine and we can change it. But I think there's almost a, an anticipation if he has to sit on the bench for 60, 70 minutes, and then I think kind of what Preno's saying, there isn't really a point throwing in a player after three months out for the last. You know, if you're chasing a goal or you need a bit of spark in midfield, then. You've got to get up to the speed of the game midway through. You know what I mean? Where I think Carlo's probably hoping that by putting him in from the start, uh, that that comes to him a little bit quicker. You know, at the end of the day, he's played for Barcelona and Valencia and you know European competitions and international competitions. He knows what it's all about. He knows what the Premier League's all about. And I think if in his mind he knows that his ankle is is a hundred percent solid and and he came through that that practice game with no issues, as, as Carlo said, then I don't see any reason why Andre wouldn't be excited to get back out there and you know, in, in such a short space of time from the injury. And I just don't think it can be understated if he is fit and he can hit the ground running like he did when he came back from, albeit a totally different injury last mm. time around, last season when we first signed him, then how big a boost that is for Everton, especially in the context of the next four games. Gav, uh, you know, speak about boosts, and you know, we, we use the phrase almost daily, don't we, in this industry, but... Do you think there would be um, an emotional, psychological uplift to see him on the on on the pitch on Sunday for the, for the away fans? You know, t- two two and a half thousand or whatever it is. Do you think the players? Do you think it helps? <sighs> not that the, the, not that the team needs refreshing, of course, yeah. at, this, at this stage because the form's been really really good. But after a break, maybe you know there could yeah. be potential for a lethargic start. I, I, just, I was just going to say. Feels like a new signing there. Well, <laughs> like, uh, you know what I mean. But it, it's, I think it does. I mean, I think there's a couple of things going on there. I'd certainly he connects well with supporters, doesn't he? So that's an obvious one with fans, isn't it? I do think as as a team, you'd always want one of your better players in and around the uh, the starting eleven. Uh, I suspect some of Carlos' thinking goes back to maybe what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. You know, when we talked about transfer targets and things like this. I mean, we were saying like Carlos' problem is between now and the end of the season. He hasn't got his first choice midfield to look at, and I think he'll want to look at. And as shown already, he want to look as many players as possible. So it actually suits Carlo to get Gomez playing as quickly as possible just to have a look at him and just how he fits into the balance of the midfield and how the midfield can look going forward. And I think that's one aspect. And I think the second aspect is we've been playing a mix and match midfield, haven't we, for, well, since November, really, mm. three months. We don't have any different combinations. We've had there and so also the midfield too. And I think um, I think in that context, they want us sort of best midfielder probably on the pitch and so you can see why Carlo was uh, you know quite keen to have that conversation but having said that I when Preno I listened to the podcast on Tuesday actually what Preno said originally I think it's it's a bit much maybe to to be starting a game and, and I do think that these type of injuries they are psychological aren't they I think the physical aspects you can sort of get over can't you um, it's the psychological thing especially when you're playing centre mid where you're uh, you know you're more likely to clash to say other parts of the pitch. You'll just have to so, keep the ball and not give it to us. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. That's what we always do at the Emirates, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, 
I think it will give everybody a lift because you want to see probably your best midfielder in, 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 in the team, don't you? I got the thoughts of Preno and the lads on Tuesday about partnerships and, and who should partner Gomez going forward, maybe starting on Sunday. In the in the in the edited video that we saw of the behind closed doors game, it looked like he started with Delph in this in this friendly and then it was Sigurdsson. Do you think one of those two is currently the best person to partner Gomez? Should he start against Arsenal? Um I, I would say neither. I think Snyderlin is. Right. Because um, I think he'll, if you're playing 4 4 2, you want one of your midfielders to be defensive. He'll just shield the back four. And the other one to play more box to box role, which is maybe not Andre's game as well, but he can get up and down the pitch, mm. can't he? Far better. Um, you know, he can do it far better than, say, Sigerson can. Because I know he spoke about Sigerson, didn't he, on Tuesday, be unsuited to that to that role. He can probably do it. I mean, Tom Davis can do it to a degree, but. You would say the natural partnership would be probably Schneidlin or Delph, but I'd say Schneidlin because he's playing well at the moment, and and Gomez is the the middle the middle two. We have done, and we can talk about something like Schneidlin till t- the cows come over. But Prenner, is he is he is he once again kind of confusing supporters in that he is he is playing well at the moment, <laughs> and as Gav rightly says, he looks more comfortable in that two in a four four two. He's got 12 months left on his deal at the end of the season. If you'd have asked supporters six, seven weeks ago, I'm convinced the majority would have said, get rid. Yeah. The majority probably still will say, get rid. But is he giving the manager, Marcel Brands, any food for thought? I'm with the majority. Um, I just don't think he's confusing us. He's showing us exactly what he has done throughout his Everton career, which is little flurries of excellence. Mm. Uh, and then he'll dip into a trough and he'll... He'll go through the motions again. He'll have, um, you know, sort of a poor run of form. His attitude will be brought into question on a couple of occasions. Maybe I'm being a little bit harsh there. Maybe that is as a result of injuries he's picked up along the way. Maybe he's the kind of player that needs a bit of momentum behind him before he can show his best form. Um, you know, it was form that you know convinced Manchester United to fork out a huge sum of money for him not that long mm. ago. But I just think we've seen it before. You know, we've seen these spells where he plays well. And you think, well, okay, you know, do it consistently over, you know, half a season or a season. And yeah, you know, Carlo Ancelotti may be persuaded that you've got a a long-term future. You've also got to look at his age as well. Mm. And, you know, he's he's at an age that doesn't really fit into the model that Marcel Brands is trying to introduce into the club. Players that can be brought in and, if necessary, sold on for a profit, if not improved significantly, so that they're worth quite a lot more. I mean, Morgan Schneiderlin's you know, value is only ever going to fall, you know, so the longer he stays at Everton. I'm enjoying the football he's playing at the moment and he is playing very well, totally with Gav on that. He's probably, I, I personally would prefer Delph. Uh, Sigurdsson, mm. despite me being a Sigurdsson fan, he's not a central midfielder. No. And, you know, he's doing done okay in that role, but, you know, he's not natural there. So, you know, it's either Delph or Schneidlin for me. And at the moment, Schneidlin's probably playing fractionally better. And he looks a little bit more, you know, authoritative, a bit more presence about him. But we haven't seen the best of Delph yet. And what flashes we have been have been decent. Um, I, I suspect they'll go with Delph at the weekend. And I think that's a partnership we haven't seen yet, obviously. So, you know, so maybe we'll, you know, get finally, you know, so get a glimpse of that. OK, moving on to Sunday's game, trip to the Emirates Stadium, uh, 4.30 kickoff. But particularly, uh, Sam, I want to speak to you about the man in the in the opposition dugout, the home dugout, Mikel Arteta, player we know ever so well, player that is a Goodison favourite, excellent whilst at the football club. Um, how do you think he'll fare as a manager? I think anyone who's worked with Pep Guardiola for a considerable amount of time, like he has, has, has got a good ground. And, uh, and, and, you know, he's obviously got confidence in himself as well because there seem to be 
you know, obviously a, a suggestion that maybe they were kind of moulding him to, to take over from Guardiola when he when he eventually leaves in, from City. And, and you know, he, he's shown a bit of bottle to, to take on what is not an easy job. You know, Arsenal are struggling in a in a similar vein to Everton with a bit of an identity crisis since since Wenger's went and having it the height that they expected to under Emery, having it the, ex- the height they expected to when they spent all that money in the summer. So, you know, fair play to, to Mikel for, for taking on the job. And uh, it's a weird one, isn't it? I think obviously he was a, he was a bit of an, a hero at Everton, especially for me growing up and, and gave us some, some good times, but left on a, on a sour note, which, you know, back, back then a lot of our top players seemed to do. So... I think now it's all water under the bridge and you hope that he'll go on to, to be successful with Arsenal. But now we've got to view Arsenal as, as, as direct rivals. You know, I don't, Arsenal have probably got a few more bigger names than Everton in the team, but by no means have they got an overall better squad than Everton. And, and, and at the start of next season, are probably one of the teams that you've got to think we'll, we'll at least have to finish above if we're going to challenge for Europe. So I hope Mikel does. OK, but definitely nowhere near as, they, as good as ever. They've got significantly better attacking options than we've yeah. got. And uh, that's, you know, so obviously something that Mikel Arteta was, you know, so delighted to you know, inherit. I've heard a lot of good things about Mikel Arteta as a, as a coach and as, as a manager. Uh, a lot of people are expressing opinions about what he was like. And, you know, anybody can work under Pep Guardiola and, uh, and pick up lessons from that. But everything you hear is very, very impressive about the nature of the coach that he is. He's very forthright. He's very direct. Um, you know, he basically tells people exactly what he wants from them and what he thinks. You know, there's no double dealing. There's no, you know, sort of sugarcoating anything. And it looks like, you know, he's, he's a man who's very, very prepared to try and make a name for himself, you know, so as, as a coach in his own right. I wish him well in that. I just hope it doesn't, you know, sort of do it at the weekend. Because um, as you say, you know, we had a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, fond memories of him at his time at Everton. Um, you know, one of the best football players at the club over the last length, you know, so 10, 15 years. Uh, and we'd like him to do very, very well as a manager. But um, not starting at the weekend. He's, uh, like I say, he's made a decent enough start. And, you know, he certainly has options that could could hurt Everton at the weekend. But I'm just heartened by the fact that they're in action on Thursday night. It was yeah. a quite a long mm. trip as well, you know, four and a half hours or so, you know, so return. So they won't have had a great deal of time to prepare for it. Whereas Carlo Ancelotti has had, you know, the entire week to get his squad together. So whether that will play a part, I don't know. It's just, it's always an awkward place to go. We've just got we, one of those places, one of those grounds. We never seem to have any good fortune. Even we, haven't, we, we haven't won there yet, have we? We've never won there. In fact, I, I was there the last time we won at Arsenal. That was Highbury, 1996. Six, yeah. Which is terrifying to think. Uh, we've got a couple of near misses, you know, a couple of late goals that Arsenal have scored in that time. But we've never really gone there and looked absolutely authoritative. Once maybe, the Gerard Delefeuille. That was a good game, that. Good game, that. Yeah, you know, yeah. when we thought, you know, Roberto Martinez had cracked it. But, but, but Sunday's a different proposition, Freno, isn't it, surely? Because for the first time, maybe forever, in that in that Premier League run, or since the run, that, since we last beat them down there, we would confidently say well, we're in better shape than they are. They're below us in the table, and f- with good reason, particularly. You know, I, yeah, absolutely. Nothing to nothing to fear. I mean, they played. They played last weekend, didn't they? Arsenal yeah. as well. So they played twice in the last week, and mm. we haven't. You know, so and they stayed overnight in Greece, which is quite telling, wasn't it? Uh, so no, absolutely, we should go there. No fear. I mean, Ancelotti, though, you could doubt. What he, some of the things that he needed to do perhaps when he came to the club, but like he's been to the Emirates and won. Mind you, so was Marco Silva, that didn't do anything, but you know, so Ancelotti being in the dugout helps. 
played Arsenal four times, the Premier League won three. So, you know, mm. some of the players may not know, but the how to win there, but the manager does mm. or how to beat Arsenal regularly. So, you know, that that's the strength of Ancelotti. And that's the only reason why we can't give a good good account of ourselves. I mean, Bob Plano was saying like about their forward options, but Calvert Loon at Charleston have been one of our strengths, haven't they, over the last this current goods run going back to the middle of December. So it's just a slightly different Arsenal. It, it, it's, it's interesting going back to Arteta, which it, when he was at Everton, you know, say you look back now at that Moyes team, say late two thousands, and you say, who do you think will be managers there? You think like you know, your weird and subs are probably obvious ones. Tim yeah. Cale probably think you know, big player. I would never have put Arteta in the uh, footballers always in the management their, management Duncan stakes. Ferguson, you'd never have had that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so sometimes players do surprise you. Andy Hinchcliffe, when he was at the club, you know, basically gave the impression that you know football was the last thing on his mind yeah. that he wanted to do when he hung up his boots. And there he is, you know, as one of Sky's like leading. Can't you know, get him off the commentators. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes players do surprise you. You know, they they do have you know. See changes of opinion, and you know clearly, well, Michael Arteta never had a, you know that massive change. I think he always had it in his head. That's what he wanted to be. Yeah. He just never gave that impression to us. Just when only seen him interviewed, and all his language things. So he's been in England a lot longer now and stuff like this. But he always seemed to be miserable for one of them. You know, yeah. never, Probably never appeared to be. Yeah, yeah, the most expansive of, of people. You know, and, and the language is you know difficulties there. Obviously, but it never struck me as somebody think, oh yeah, they'll you know they'll go into coaching, they'll do do great. Um, but obviously, you know, he's, he's obviously got that in him. And, you know, he was sort of technical player that you could imagine and what, what a Mikel Arteta team would want to play like if you looked at him as a player. So, yeah, I was just surprised when, you know, he started going through the ranks in terms of, you know, coaching and management. I never saw that coming 10 or 12 years ago. What were our thoughts when, God, back in December, when we were looking for a permanent manager and obviously quite clearly Carlo Ancelotti was very high on the shortlist and obviously... It emerged that Mikel Arteta had been discussed at boardroom level as well. Of course, we're very, very happy with Carlo, um, and how could we not be? But if we just take you back to that point when we hadn't appointed a new manager. How did the prospect potentially of, of Arteta sit with 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 you guys coming in the dugout, Everson? I remember speaking to people, at, you know, fairly senior positions at the football club, and they thought that it would be a gamble, you know, uh, appointing Mikel Arteta, given the position that Everton were in. You know, clearly, we're very, you know, sort of admiring of, you know, the possibility of him coming, although it seems that, you know, Arsenal were already well down, you know, the route to appointing <coughs> him. Uh, but there was just that niggling fear that it was a manager basically sitting in the dugout for the first time. And okay, you know, so he's learned from the very, very best, but he'd never managed a club before. And given the position that we were in at the time, that would be a gamble. You know, so I think the the more experienced option was something they were always going to look for. Uh, and I would agree with that entirely, you know, so romantically. Yeah, great. It would have been lovely to see Michael Arteta come in. Not too dissimilar to, you know, the age and you know, the circumstances of Howard Kendall, you know, when he came in in 1981, uh, but given where we were in the league and given the need for a run of results very, very quickly, I think a more experienced option was always the preferred you know, necessity. And we got one of the very best out there. I think we can never underestimate just how fortunate we were that all you know, everything fell into place at the right time. That you know, Napoli's president had a brainstorm and decided he didn't want Europe's, one of Europe's best managers. And you know, so decided to part company with him. And that Carlo actually fancies, you know, so coming, you know, don't underestimate how well, you know, the Everton you know, powers that be actually sold the club to him. Uh, but I just think he liked the idea of a club where he would have 
a bit more authority, uh, you know, where he could actually do things that he wanted to do rather than being told by club presidents, you can't do this, you can't do that. Uh, so we, did, we certainly, I would hope, got the best part of the deal. Mikel Arteta may become an absolutely top-class manager, but at this moment in time, we certainly can't say that you know we, uh, we came out second best in the deal. I think it's also easy to forget what position we were in. You know, Carlo was kind of yeah. almost effortlessly <laughs> took us up towards the European positions, but, you know... Our, Arsenal, as, as I said earlier, is still a, a difficult job at the moment, I think, but they were never really in actual... Well, you, you would have thought they were not in actual danger of, of, of getting relegated, but you know, Everton were in, in that relegation zone on, on the day we sacked Marco Silva, and you know, although Duncan done an incredible job as well, we were still not clear and, and dry by any means. So you know, I think now that you look back, it probably wouldn't have been too attractive to, to Mikel Arteta to take over a team in that position and... Wouldn't have been too attractive to Everton to, to give the job to someone who, who'd never worked at that level before. But as Preno says, you know, when when you do look back to, to consider the circumstances and all those kind of blocks that have to fall into place, it it almost seems at the moment just, just a little bit like fate. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing from our test perspective is Arsenal's turnover being twice as much as Everton's helps, doesn't it? Mm. And the players you inherit, and as you say, and you know, from a coaching perspective, and he's coached there as well before, hasn't he? So it's not <coughs> as if, you know, he's only ever played for Everton. You know, I think all those things would have made a far more attractive proposition uh, than, than Everton. And I think what I was saying was that they was right, and what the club's attitude, if that was the case, was also right, that he wanted them a, a firmer, safer pair of hands than mm. where we where we were as well. So, yeah, yeah, I think it'd do well. I was just, I'm just going back, just surprised. Surprised. Okay, uh, before we move on to uh, planning applications, um, we'll stick with, with on, on the field. Um, as I said at the start of the podcast, uh, trip to the Emirates on Sunday is the first of four games, very interesting games, uh, following the trip to Arsenal. United at home, Chelsea away, and Liverpool at home. Um, look, we haven't got a crystal ball, but how... How much do you think the outcome of those four games will shape our European destiny? I think it'll be absolutely pivotal. You know, it, it will tell us in a month's time, you know, whether we're going to have an outside chance of pushing for the Champions League, whether Europa League... So I still, I still is, struggled when people say that. Seriously. <laughs> it is. Outside, well, yeah, yeah. You know, UEFA have done us one there, haven't they? You know, so, um, no, I mean, provided the no appeals, you know, so, you know, so are successful in the meantime... Um, no, it's going to be absolutely crucial. Uh, the first three of those fixtures that you've mentioned are against teams that you think, well, OK, they're all tough, understandably so. But equally, they're all very, very inconsistent. I know mm. Arsenal have had a little bit of a run under Mikel Arteta recently. Uh, but, you know, Chelsea and Man United have been so up and down, it's, you know, so it's untrue. Whereas we have shown consistency. Admittedly, we've shown consistency against the type of football clubs that we should be beating, we should be getting results against. And now it's Carlo's task to prove that he can do it against sides, you know, in and around us on the table and, you know, so slightly higher up than us. And he's certainly capable of doing that. It'll take a big effort you know, from the players concerned, but they've had, you know, a little bit of a break, you know, so to, to go again, if you like. Um, so, yeah, it will absolutely shape, you know, so where we are. I think in, um, after the derby match at Goodison, I think we will know whether we have got a realistic chance of qualifying for Europe, whether it's just going to be a, a mid-table plod, you know, to the end of the season. Um, but yeah, these next four games are absolutely imperative. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Sam, 12 points up for grabs. How many, how many points would 
um, be a good return for you? You're asking Sammy, the world's most optimistic man. He's going to come 15, back with at least 15. <laughs> 15 in a lottery win. Um, well, you've got to hope that you beat Manchester United at home. Mm. I think. I think between if you want to, st- if you want to at least be saying you want to stay in the mix of, for the Champions League um, and, and Europe League, you're looking at six and above, aren't you? I think, and and that's probably you know at the end of the day whether, whether we like it or not, we're playing. Currently, we're going to play currently the best team in the world at, at Goodison Park. But what an opportunity it is to kind of hopefully what could still be their first Premier League defeat of the season. You know, we beat Man United 4-0 at home. And again, it sounds weird, but you know, you'd be disappointed not to beat this Manchester United team at Goodison Park. And I also think, given the seasons they're having, I think you'd be disappointed to not go to Arsenal and get a result. And I think you'd be disappointed not to go to Chelsea and at the very least give them a game, you know, and and, and be competitive against them. You know, it was 0-0 there last season. So, you know, we're going we're going into all these games and, and there's not one game where you, you're writing us off like you might have done in recent seasons, but really got to beat Manchester United. You've really got to get something against Chelsea or Arsenal, and then you know you're looking for for a sneaky win somewhere else. But you know, I do still genuinely think if you get six points from these next four games, then there's, there's a very real chance because all the other teams around us are still going to drop points. And you know, whether it's Tottenham or Sheffield United or Wolves, and everyone's still kind of got to play each other. So I think now at the end of the day, it is just it is just about keeping yourself in the mix because as we've seen a lot this season you don't know what's going to happen and it's not going to take you know that like that season we didn't finish fourth somehow even though we had 70 odd points it's not going to be like that this season so you know if you can just get what you can and and, and take a few boxes and keep picking up the points you just don't know where you're going to find yourself but for me the next two games are, are crucial I think Arsenal and Manchester United are the two biggest chances to to get wins. I think the uh, think tomorrow, uh, sorry, Sunday's the crucial game, and that'll set the agenda. <coughs> yeah. I mean, strange enough, I know Sam said six points. Yeah, in points terms, it's more, but actually, just avoiding defeat in the first yeah. three games. Yeah. Is that, I think in a strange way, five points might be better than six because that means you haven't lost to one of your, yeah, you know, rivals. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, haven't yeah. given your rivals yeah. a three-point start. So, in a strange way, five is better than six. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's narratives, isn't it? And you know, we get. Plano was saying, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea away, you know, Chelsea even further back than Arsenal. That's when there, isn't it? You know, and they're not games that that we win. And narratives kick in, don't they? So if we get beat on Sunday, we don't do ourselves just as you're thinking, same old, and then the guy was in, like, you know. But if we can get a draw and play well, and, you know, Carlo or Carlo works as magic and we get a win, all of a sudden, those next two games, you're looking yeah. at them completely differently, well, aren't you? What, like, what an opportunity yeah. for Carlo to become an absolute yeah, yeah. hero, to become the first Everton manager to win at the Emirates since 96, the first Everton manager to win at Stamford Bridge since 94, yeah. and then to do what we haven't done for 10 years and win a derby match. Yeah. You know, he could become an absolute yeah. legend. It's not as if he hasn't beat Liverpool <laughs> this season already as well, you know, but I think uh, I think Sunday's the big big game, isn't it? Yeah. I, think, I think avoid defeat on Sunday and take it from there. And even avoiding defeat in the next two matches actually wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If you could win one of them, great. Momentum. Yeah, yeah, but one of them would be great. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think, but, but having said that, all three games are winnable, aren't they? I mean, Arsenal, they've had six league games this year. They've only won two. They've drawn four. Mm. You know, so they've, they've been getting points, but they've not been winning games. And so I think they drew two at the, the, the Emirates in that time. So I think... Uh, 
they're all winnable. It's we've got to get got to get forward line, firing all cylinders, keep it tight at the back, you know. It put it this way, if Richardson Dominic Calvert Lewin carry on the way they've been doing with him with hell of a chance. I think at the moment though as well, you know, as Preno points out, Arsenal, you know, there's no way the Everton's defenders won't be sitting there over the weekend thinking well, yeah, we're in for the game this weekend, but at the same time, you know, with the, the defence that Arsenal have got at the moment, there's no way they're looking forward to playing against Calvert Lewin and Charleston. But what Gav is saying is definitely right there, although it is the ultimate cliche. But a game at, game at a time is probably where it's at for Everton right now, just because there's a feel good factor, and I know it comes down to timing. But Ancelotti's also done a very good job of, you know, he hasn't really let things get too out of hand. You know, that Newcastle draw was pretty dismal, wasn't it? But he was quite calm about it. You know, we've got that win against Palace. I think the break might have came, even though we won at a right at a right time. And then we've had this this Gomez factor as well in in terms of him coming back. You know, so there is just a really good feeling around Everton at the moment. So if you beat Arsenal, or at least get a result with Arsenal, and then you're going into playing a pretty weak Manchester United team at Goodison, you know, it it snowballs, doesn't it? And if you if you get to that Liverpool game, as again as Gav said, unbeaten. <laughs> I don't even want to know what, what Goodison will be like on, on that afternoon, especially if you know Everton can get into the game early doors. So it's it's just so exciting at the moment. But again, it all thingies on we can't we can't go yeah. on Saturday and get beat two or three nil like what we have done in the past day. It's gotta be a performance and it's, it's we, we, I think now we have to prove, don't we, that this is it hasn't just been a flash in the pan and this is a squad that is capable of at the very least Challenging for the Europa League place in in the in the wide, bigger picture, the one advantage we have we haven't got Europe, have we? In some yeah. of them other clubs are talking about there, which I think are working our favour in terms of the the race for the Europa League or the Champions League. As, as it was Carlo, it was a good chat thing by Carlo. He said he wants fourth, doesn't he? Carlo wasn't. Was that today? I think he was dismissing it. I yeah. think he was. Sort of, we can't just assume in fifth. Yeah, fifth, I want fourth. I thought, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. that, that, I'll have that. Just, but, just uh, on that, Gav, uh, on, on that muddled look at the minute because we don't know. Um, Soriano, the chief exec at City, has spoken this week, and he said it's their best hope that a decision, once and for all, after yeah. the appeal, will be given by the beginning of the summer. That leaves so little time, potentially for us, if, say, we finish eighth or we finish fifth, in a state of limbo until then. Yeah, I mean, that that must be an absolute headache, surely, potentially on the horizon, because if we finish fifth, we don't know for the Champions League or yeah. Europa League. Finish eighth, we don't know if we're in Europe or not. And well, that eighth, and that's all depends on the league course, cup yeah. and FA Cup winners fall in the right places, yeah, don't yeah. they? Yeah, well, the whole thing's a bit of a mess, isn't it, really? And uh, that um, it's a it's a mess for people who are organising it as well, aren't they? Really, um, I, but I've just got to think plan at the moment that just fourth, isn't it? Top four, and the, the, the status quo is maintained. That will just play out. I, I, being between the lines, though, I think they're actually quite confident that it's actually going to be a two-year ban, isn't it? That's sort of some of the mm. what people are saying is that it'll be, you know, that it'll, it'll be a two-year ban, which then really puts the cat, cat amongst the pigeons. Um, if you finished in fifth, it will, we're always one in Europe, aren't we? We must have been <laughs> so much. Kind. We are always one in Europe. <laughs> aren't More than you one. Know? Yeah, yeah, we're always yeah, a couple in yeah. Europe, and. You know, I don't, you can't forecast things and stuff, but if, imagine if you went on the run at the end of the season and finished fifth, which we're fairly capable of. And then, you know, the sort of reverse of what's happened in the past happens. Because um, that's, that's what the rules say, don't think it's happened, it happened in this season, didn't it? Um, so, where the fifth place yes, got in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the precedence is there. 
That that would be perfect, that wouldn't it? It, 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 it's both, it would it cause sounds... immense upheaval to the pre-season yeah. program, but you'd take that. You'd be happy with that upheaval. Look, we're not where we want to be and haven't been for, for a long time, but looking at Arsenal and Manchester United, they feel like, you know, understandably, they were winning Premier League titles not so long ago. They feel like they've dropped well off the pace for a number of years. How long do we think, or how many more opportunities, going back to Farhad's window of opportunity, how long do you think that window of opportunity is going to be there to capitalise on the traditional big four or two of them yeah. being well off the pace? I was thinking about this the other day and I think it is quite interesting, especially when you think back of all the times we've kind of missed out. It's all it's almost kind of felt like, you know, every time we've had a good season, everyone else has kind mm. of had a really good season. Like I mentioned before, you know, 70 odd points, the only time I think a team has done that and not finished fourth in the Premier League was us. And then any time there was a kind of a weaker season, like like the time Leicester won the league, you know, we were well off the pace and this time it does kind of feel like there's been a bit of a, a, a role reversal in terms of, you know, obviously we've struggled and, and you could say, well, it's quite frustrating and if we'd started the season like this, we'd probably be well in fourth now or at least pretty much guaranteed the Europa League spot. But, you know, the rest of the Premier League has almost waited for us to catch up. But I do genuinely think that you probably get two, two, three four years max before it kind of comes back around once a team has got a plan in place. You know, it's, it's it's difficult to say, but, you know, if you look at when Klopp came into Liverpool and kind of had his idea of how to do things and now that's kind of came to fruition over a, a three to four year period. But at the same time, you know, if, if teams don't get that identity uh, quick enough, then it, it can take even longer. You know, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, I think at this moment in time, look an absolute age away from from a kind of at least a, a sustained Premier League title push where they'd have that level to do it over two or three seasons. So I genuinely think, again, you know, we're getting Ancelotti in with Machidi, with the new stadium. Everything could come together, but you need to get that monkey off your back, don't you? You need that first trophy or you need that first fourth, fifth place finish and then to do it consistently to then at least cement our place in, in and around that mix a little bit like what maybe... Tottenham have done over the last couple of seasons so you know this season would be what at least 18 months ahead of schedule if or 12 months ahead of schedule if we'd done it this season but it has to be in the next two seasons otherwise I think again you can't, you can't predict though can you you just no. don't know how United are going to fare under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know he's he feels like the, uh, a defeat away from the sack exactly the yeah you know he's, he's a manager that hasn't achieved consistency you know he's only got that job because of what he did as a player there so that's uh, very much you know sort of a club in progress at the moment Frank Lampard is an untried manager we don't know what he's going to do at Chelsea you know, a lot of people think that Jose Mourinho is like um, yesterday's man now. And, you know, so he's not had a period of sustained success for a little while. I know he's he won trophies at Man United. But, you know, so there's, there's three clubs there. And Pep Guardiola, you know, what, what are Manchester City going to do? You know, so if they are banned from Europe for two years, I know Pep said this week that, you know, he's more than happy to stick around and, you know, so see the job through. But that's going to impact upon their ability to attract players. You just cannot predict what's going to happen with clubs elsewhere. We've got to get our own ship in order. We've got to make sure that we are picking up points and, you know, putting pressure on those football clubs if they do have wobbles, because you don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, it's an interesting one, this. And in some respects, our best opportunity is for Man City and Liverpool to carry on winning games, to get 9,500 points yeah. every season, because that takes points away from the other 
which is what so, effectively so, happened in the last two so seasons. Effectively, you're saying the top, the race for the top four becomes the race for you, third and fourth. Yeah, you, yeah, you want you want City and Liverpool to get 95 to 100 points every season because that means the, the other four won't get as many points as what they normally get. No, you don't ever which want is, that. Don't want you don't ever want that. Which is effectively what, what happened. Which I, is I know what you're saying, but you don't ever want that. I know that's what. But if you want to my view, that's what that's if you what the best way of doing it is actually if you could live with that because that just takes the it happened last season, it's happened again this season. There's a blood red podcast for you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 okay, let's say felt two of that group to get ninety five to hundred points. Uh, yeah, but no, seriously, that that's that, that's what's happened in the last couple of years. The city and Liverpool have taken the points off everybody else, haven't they? So mm. that all the four have got less than what they would normally expect, and that that's the easiest way. The more the more sort of like you know uh, the better way of looking at it is. Well, that's what we've got to do, isn't it? Really, yeah. And that's what the other four are doing. Is how do we get? Exactly. How yeah. do we get? I mean. 70 points you, you think with a couple of players you got Kabam and, him and Gomez we still don't think is ideal but if, I mean defence plays the way it's been doing if, if Holgate develops Calvert-Lewin and Charleston all develop we get a couple of players into maybe wise right in the summer Pickford retains his form you, you, you say 65 to 70 points is 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 evil with that with that squad especially if other teams are struggling and you've got Carlo in charge as well. And um, you, you're saying there that, that, that the top six could be could be the case, really. Um, so you can't really line other people, can they? We've got to do it ourselves. What, sorry, but what it boils down to, isn't it, though, is, is consistency, isn't it? You know, you look at since uh, Silver came in, you know, we had that decent start, an awful run, a good end. Again, this season, you know, an awful run under Silver. But what... Ancelotti is managing to do at the moment is bring consistency and in this Premier League that's all you really need you don't have to be exceptional to finish fifth or sixth you just need to be consistent beat the teams that you're expected well, to beat Sheffield United and do what yeah, Sheffield United yeah. and, and show like you know they've picked up some good points on the road they've pretty much done what they've been expected to do at home which is what we weren't doing at the start of the season mm. and, and Ancelotti has just shown I know it all, it's very simple to for four of us to sit round the table and say it, but at the yeah, end Carla, of the day, yeah, yeah, yeah. as you're saying, with that squad that we've got, what we've been lacking from them, from an 11 across a period, or, you know, 14, 15 regular players, is that consistency to win the games you're meant to. And and that will, that is what gets you fourth, fifth. You know, I remember saying a few years back, that's how it kind of started for Liverpool, wasn't it? They kind of made Anfield a fortress. They won the, they won the majority of the home games and then gradually just started learning how to do it away from home. And, and that, for me, is pretty much what Ancelotti has, has set up to do so far. We've won our home games that we should have by Newcastle. We've picked up some good points on the road, and, and look yeah. where it's, we, it's got us. If we'd done that, we, as you're saying, with an extra two or three players in the summer across the majority of the games next season, then we're going to win the league. It's yeah, easy. But, but Sam, <laughs> Sam picks up a point I was going to raise there, more specific. There's one area just sort of like looking at it like a general point within the club we've had improved the away form mm. we've not won consecutive away Premier League matches for four years you know 2016 mm. was the last time we won consecutive away matches is that the start of the season under Koeman Koeman yeah, yeah. Sunderland and, and West, West Brom, Brom yeah. yeah and you know it's that long ago it's that, that famous you can remember the games you know that's when Balassi looked like the best winger yeah and um, <laughs> that, that has been our problem for the last three or four years hasn't it it's, it's, it's not winning enough away from home against teams that we should have been beaten and if you're looking for us, as, as Sam said, to go from 55 to 70 points or whatever, 
it's okay bringing a couple of players, but it's dragging out another five or ten points away from mm-hmm. home. I've done more than what we've been doing over the last sort of well since Martinez's first season. I would imagine our way form has been uh, patchy to say the least. You mm-hmm. know? Indeed, uh, good chat. So, final part of the podcast today, and we promise this at the start uh, a discussion. The planning application is available for public consumption. Reams and reams of documents and pages and texts and pictures and all manner of things, hugely fascinating. We've only scratched the surface. Um, of course, one of the headline um, things to come from it is the capacity of the proposed ground will be 52,888 not 52,000 flat, as we'd sort of been initially led to believe. Um, Chaps, have you had a chance to sift through any of it? Any thoughts? It's all becoming very real, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've only like read the, uh, the the headline stuff that you guys have been uh, ploughing through. I think 51,878 would have been better. Yeah. No, it just, what it does for me is just highlights that, yes, it's, it's becoming very real now. You know, it, it's... It looks like, you know, it's happening, you know, there are actual physical dates, you know, so highlighted now. Uh, so everyone's getting, you know, so quite excited. There has been understandable, not scepticism, but, you know, so caution, you know, so supporters have been down planning, not planning applications, but they've been down, you know, so ground move, you know, so movements in the past that have never come to fruition. And this one is significantly further down the line than any of those have ever been. Um, and it does, it looks very, very real when you start hearing numbers, when you start hearing, you know, so planning applications as detailed as the one which has just been submitted, um, you start getting quite excited about it. And, you know, I've seen people on social media now actually asking questions about how do you get season tickets for the new stadium, <laughs> which is great. You know, it's what you want to hear. You know, there is a, a beginning of a, an upswell of excitement and that kind of thing can, you know, so infect the whole football club and suddenly yeah, everyone's like very excited. When Carlo Ancelotti came in, you know, actually he spoke about a, a new stadium. I liked an interview he gave uh, ahead of the match on television a couple of weeks ago where, you know, what's your dream for the future? And it was to hear the Everton fans singing my song in the new stadium, <laughs> which is great. You know, that's several years down the line, yet he's already talking optimistically about that. So it does, it just spreads this air of optimism around the football club. And, you know, so planning applications like we've read this week only help that. I think the dates is what got me when they're kind of, you know, when they're starting on the south stand and the north stand, the car park and, and everything <laughs> around it. And it was kind of saying, like, when it starts and when it ends. And, you know, I was just sat there for ages just looking at it, just like, my God, that's this year. And it all just suddenly seems <laughs> yeah. to be, yeah. you know, actually happening now. And obviously, you know, as Preno says, Everton is a club and Everton is a, a, a fan base and... You know, we, we've obviously had our fingers burnt in the past and, and had a few near misses with other sites, both popular and and unpopular. But this now, okay, you know, there's probably some people who are still, just because of that, will still not believe it until the thing is actually open and, and there's being a ball kicked around it. But, you know, it, it is incredible. You know, three years, I know, still sounds like a, a decent amount of time, but it's not really, is it? And I think the only the only strange kind of thing for me that, will obviously be explained at some point is the ground, I think, from the building dates they put out won't be finished until maybe like is it September twenty twenty three? Yeah, so, yeah, so just yeah, yeah. yeah, so a bit of clarity on that for for people who don't uh, have picked up what, what Sam's talking about. The club's projections in the planning application of course can be subject to change. Are uh, that should planning permission come in, in the summer, a decision is made and, 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 and the council say go ahead, get it built. It will take six weeks to mobilise, as they say, get Everybody get the wagons rolling and get everybody in place. And they probably say they wouldn't actually physically start work until the September. And the time frame they've given is 37 months or three years, give or take. So, yeah, you're right. In the season that we would hope to be in, 
actually wouldn't be in until late September. So that would obviously uh, raise the prospect, uh, raise the prospect of playing the first few normally home games away from home. Which there's precedent for. Other clubs have done that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only thing yeah. for me is that like you wouldn't have that kind of, you know, the, the last game of a season playing someone, you know, would be brilliant at Goodison, wouldn't it? But at the same time, I was saying the night that if it probably wouldn't work out this way, but imagine if like the last game at Goodison, it was no matter what date it was, was like a mid-season game against like Man United or Liverpool or something like that. And, you know, the atmosphere would just be absolutely yeah. brilliant and obviously a, an emotional day. But, you know, finally now to see, you know, dates and plans and, and actually something kind of physical now to, or, or, you know, down, that is, is, is when it's going to start. That is, as Preno says, it's, it's just boss, isn't it? And, and I just finally think that now we can all start getting behind it. Well, yeah, but there's also the uh, the other elements, which is there's only 50-odd visits to Goodison Park remaining now, yeah. if everything's on schedule. So cherish every one of them, you know, so just really appreciate, you know, so Goodison Park for what it is and what it has been, you know, because yeah. it looks like, you know, it's it's nearing its end. Yeah, though we could be played last game, it could be a Champions League game against Barcelona, <laughs> couldn't it, you know? But uh, yeah. no, no, I think it's a pretty smart move by the club having it that date. Because as Sam said, if it said like, okay, the last, the, the, the safety testing, isn't it? Like, mm. is May 2020. And then think, and think oh, we'll start off September, you know, August 2020, sorry, 2023. August 2023, new stadium, first game, summer, would be great and blah, blah. And then there's a delay yeah, and then yeah, all yeah. of a sudden, it's a bit of an anti-climax, isn't it? Basically what the club have given themselves is like, I say, six to eight month contingency if it is delayed, which it could be, you know, because they have said in the, in the paperwork that this is the optimum yeah. time scale. It could be delayed for lots of, of different could, reasons. Yeah. And so the, the same, but so that would just mean the game, the first game in 23-24 will be, be flexibility around that like it was with Spurs. But I think in terms of, dare I say, I hate that phrase, managing expectations, I'm just about to use it, managing expectations of sports, I think that's like a smart way of, of doing it. You I mean, there's hundreds of documents. I mean, we went to the uh, the presentation the yeah. club did as part of the Heritage Society in the summit, which is fantastic. And you just can't, it's only when you see the documents, you, it reinforces the view that we had on that. It's an enormously yeah. complicated thing. A, to build the stadium, but then all the infrastructure around the stadium and the, the limitations of what you can do and the heritage, which is really great in the documents they're talking about, is 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 put that together. It's an all, you know, it's it's com- complex. And think of like that's not all the paperwork that's being released this week as well. I think there's some other stuff to come out. And um you know, and it's a massive job. I was looking at some of the, the smaller prints, and there's a section on uh, the wind. Yes. <laughs> so they, they, you've seen it where about they put done wind tunnel testings, haven't they, of the stage, about how to best get shape the stadium to, to uh, negate the and impact. And that's why of the we wind. saw a slight amendment to the final design from the designs we saw in the summer. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Some buttresses on the south stand, which would be the home end. Yeah. They've added in because of the wind testing. Yeah, which is just shows you, you know, it's just every. Everything has been thought of. And that, that's great to hear yeah, that level yeah. of detail. Because I know Liverpool's new main stand when that was built, because um, I covered you know so quite a few games there at that time. And there was an issue there with um, the wind actually whistling through the main stand. And it was absolutely outrageously cold on some evenings. And as a result, a number of fans were very uncomfortable. They started going under the stand at half-time uh, to try and get warm. And it caused you know some issues. You know, supporters were discomforted, certainly. And, you know... There was like, um, you know, it, it was it was very, very unpleasant for them at times. And that was changed fairly quickly. Uh, but it sounds like Everson don't even intend to, you know, sort of put that to, to the risk. Yeah. They, I mean, they are going to I mean, look, take, you know. We're no, no, we're no planning experts. But as Gav rightly says, when you click 
if you've got time and you obviously we're going to give you some of the headline stuff, but if you take the time to actually click in and go through the stuff, you're left with the impression that literally, quite literally, no stone has been no. left unturned. It's, it's, it's phenomenal the amount of detail. And all the background information about the history of the docks and the heritage and all that type of stuff. It's just mm. it's just fascinating reading it and all the different options that were considered about where the stadiums have fit and what, what the, the pros and cons and all of them. But it's all in there. Thought it was, uh, it's, it, it takes you 10 minutes just looking at the list of yeah. documents even before you need any of them. There's a couple of things that caught the eye for me. Um, one was the, the obviously the start date being not the start of the season. The other two is there's, there's just the thing on safe standing, isn't it? Yes. Where there's provision for safe standing, but only on a one-to-one ratio. So that means looking at it, that there's no, not going to be a capacity increase with mm. safe standing. And the other one which caught me, which we, we had heard of previously, was is the amount of premium seating, which is 5,800, which is a hell of a lot. A jump from what we were saying, Gav, we think, I think around... about 1,200 yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So that's like five times as much premium seating, which for a club of our size... It means Tottenham, 62,000 stadium, 150,000 membership. I've got 8,000 premium seats in a really, you know, affluent area, obviously, uh, you know, catchment area. Um, Everton, fan base in terms of membership, a lot less than that. Uh, maybe not the same sort of economic prosperity around here. You know, 5,800 is a hell of a lot. Mm. Uh, and and the, the club won't be soft, they won't just... Of course, that figure, it, you yeah. know, I, they, I would imagine that's been really well researched as well in keeping with the rest of the documentation. But that, that stood out for me because obviously that's where you make your money, isn't it? Modern football is from the, the, the premier seat. It was good to see, I think they mentioned the paperwork, but we have heard them say this is that. But there's going to be different many different levels of premium seat. It's not yes. like four course meal for everybody, you know, and free ale, you know. So that, that's in the press room, isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> Wait until you see so, me and so, my 5,800 mates. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching from the so box. I think the club of those premium seating, there's going to be a lot of flexibility there for supporters to take advantage of that. Mm. Um, it's not just going to be like 100 and 200 quid a pop, you know. Because yeah. um, when you say hospitality, people just tend to think of like the, the, the top yeah. end. But hospitality, football grounds, is just being able to get a couple of standing in a you know separate a, bar or yes, something like yeah, that yeah. with a you know finger food or something like Absolutely. that for an extra twenty quid a game or something. So um, that was the other the other figure that stood out in my mouth for me, and I think uh, that people have criticised the club over the capacity over being not being ambitious enough, which is a separate story. But five thousand eight hundred is very ambitious mm. for me, and uh, hopefully the the get the benefit of the benefit of that. Uh, a couple of other things as well that that, that jumped out uh, as part of the. Uh, plan application and, and, and making it clear t- in in their argument that Bramley Mall Dock is the only site where Everton can build this stadium. Uh, they've scrutinised 50 alternative sites around the city and said why they're not plausible or not accessible or not suitable. Um, plus, and in terms of leaving Goodison, obviously the club have had to make very detailed and extensive um, explanations why the redevelopment of Goodison is not Suitable wouldn't bring about the, the the requirements. They talk about adding tiers onto the Bullens and Park Enstands. Plus, I think there's a figure of around twenty million pounds has been spent on the last eight nine years just on maintenance and and capital expenditure, as they call it, just to upkeep Goodison. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they reckon United's going to cost two hundred million to fix Old Trafford, don't they? You know, with all the all the design faults there. So it's like having a ground, existing ground, is, is an expensive business uh, generally. You know, Tim Pot, that Old Trafford. Yeah, thing. yeah. Well, yeah, I've seen the flood. It floods, doesn't it? There's a flood of Old Trafford in one of the stands. But going back to that, it's quite interesting. They'd lose all the roads, wouldn't they? Mm. 
if they, you That's know, right, like, a bit yeah. like some of the issues at Anfield, yeah, yeah. a lot of the roads would go. Um, We'd have to, yeah. Some of the main, you know, the main roads around there. So it's obviously a non-starter. Um, but <laughs> it's in keeping with the rest. It's just a, it's a massive set of documentation, but nothing has been, literally no stone has been left unturned. And it's as we found out when we've we, we seen them, because you can't unturn, you know, you can't upturn a stone in the dock, but you've got to keep it there, you know. They drain it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. Just to give, before we move on to predictions as well, I think there was a staggering thing that really sort of illustrated the scale of, of how Bramlingwell would be. The um, site on which Goodison is is around 3.25 hectares. Bramlingwell is over eight. Yeah. So if you think about walking around Goodison it's a chest now, of a stadium now. Well, yeah. two and a half times as big, if not more. And, and the club want to take advantage of that extra space, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Um, and I think, it, I think it's good to see... Yeah, as Sam said, I think the dates is the key thing, isn't it? Yeah. And when you see the actual dates and the plan yeah. around that, you've got something tangible to sort of uh, hang your hat by, haven't you, really? Rather than just being some intangible thing. It, it's a concept. Mm. You can actually see reality. And three years, it is actually not a long time, because it's three years since we started in the Bramley Moore pub when it was announced doing the yes. Royal Blue podcast, isn't it? Yeah, that doesn't yeah. seem that long ago. So three years will, will fly over, mm. won't Now I need yeah. to start working out. How do you nick your seat? You see, you yeah. seat? Do you just like yeah. kick it off or do you take your screws out? <laughs> no, you can't even do that. I mean, the same thing happened at Anfield in the main stand, you know, so fans trying to actually physically take uh, seats with them and they were prevented from doing so because mm. it causes such a public disorder issue. I don't know. Everson will have looked at that as well, you know, I'm sure, and they will. They'll have a, they'll have a plan in place, yeah. which will probably coat on that. No, which, will, which will enable people to purchase, um, you know, so seats. Yeah, you know, on a not for not, not, paid, not that much of a tangent, but uh, I've had a couple of emails from people actually asking because Dan Mice actually, you know, so put the the suggestion out there, the old Littlewoods clocks, you know, so what's happened to them? And um, we did. A, I did a story about this in the Echo a few years ago now. And um, when they were taken down, uh, one of the contractors actually wanted to take one of them home with him. And the club said, yeah, fine, they're only going to get binned otherwise. Uh, so they did. It went to a back, backyard of somebody's house in Anfield. Uh, they tried to get it in the house and up the stairs, and it was so big they couldn't get it around the corner <laughs> of the stairs. So it ended up, in the, ended up in the backyard and then got blown over in the wind and it broke. And so there was, there was only literally you know, hands remaining. But the other one, there was... Um, a rumour during the rounds it was still somewhere at Goodison it was still underneath the Bullens Road main stands somewhere so I thought I'd ask a question you know last uh, home game of somebody that would know met the head groundsman said you're just the man I need to bump into oh dear why what's up so I said about this clock and he goes oh yeah yeah it's here not sure exactly where, but it is definitely here. We wow. put it somewhere safe. So whether Dan will actually incorporate that in the new stadium, who knows? But a bit of Goodison heritage and history, you know, still yeah. exists and could be incorporated. Yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff on that, isn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, the heritage side, which is great, you know. Brilliant. So uh, customary prediction, Sam, before we uh, conclude this edition of the podcast. Preno, uh, Arsenal versus Everton on Sunday, 4.30 at the Emirates. Uh, what will the score be? I'm going for a 1-1 draw, which I think will be a good result, good solid result. I'd like to think we can nick it, but... Arsenal have got such quality in the forward areas. I just worry about us maybe keeping a clean sheet. Uh, but a draw at Arsenal is a decent result. I'm going to go for 1-1. One, one. Sam? Yeah, I'm not confident for this one, so I can 3-1 Everton. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want to kill a stat? Yes, always. Last night? Always. We haven't kept clean sheets in both league games against Arsenal since 1913. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 170 years since we, we did not concede against Arsenal in a league season. Do you go with that one, Preno? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to throw 69 yeah, yeah, yeah. We won on the opening day one. Yeah, yeah. What was the score of Goodison? 2 all, wasn't it? <laughs> course, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, I, um, 
in keeping with the rest of the positive nature of the pod, I, I'm going with a 1 0 Everton win and uh, making you know, history. Making it, yeah, it's it, but it's, uh, Over a it's century, long, wow. it's not as if people can unlucky where we conceded nil in yeah. and like what long period of time they've scored against us, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, I think I'm with Pren, I think we'll get a 1 1, but I'd be content. Yeah, not overjoyed, but content. I think it would m- maintain oh, yeah. the momentum yeah. under Carlo and bring us nicely into the home game with United. Um, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Brilliant, really decent, chunky podcast there. Loads of insight and opinion. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.